I came across some old pictures of my kids this week. And uh, I hadn't seen these pictures for a while. And, and, and really, as I was looking through them, it was hard for me to even remember them being this young. And, and yet, then when I further thought about it, it, it really, it actually just wasn't that long ago. You, um, you bring a baby home from the hospital. And it's all about feeding them, changing their diapers, and getting them to go to sleep. And then, after a while, now they start crawling and walking. And now, you know, you have, there's nowhere in the house that you can even hide from them anymore. And then they start uh, climbing up refrigerators. And now you, you, you get some training in how to discipline your children. But before long, they go off to school and they just go for the half days. And now you get a little bit of a breather, right, at home. But then they go to school for, they start going for full days and you miss them. And then they start getting smarter than you at school. But now you can have conversations with them. Uh, and then you start driving them to sports and you watch them play. And um, before long, they're taller than you, they're shaving, and they're going away to school. The point is that they are maturing. We, we all should be on a path of maturing. It's cute when a toddler runs around the house with nothing but a diaper on. But it, it just isn't quite as cute uh, when a high school student or an adult would do the same thing. It's cute when your kid uh, wipes food all over his face, but not when your husband does. The point is we need to be, we need to grow up. We need to mature. We need to be on the path from infancy toward adulthood. As a parent, your job is to train your children, your kids, to not need you. Your job is not to coddle them so that they will need you at all times for every little reason. Your job is to train them to no longer need you. You can't be tying their shoe for them when they're heading out for their first job interview. You can't be getting them dressed on their, on their wedding day. You can't be feeding them on their honeymoon. They need to learn how to do these things on their own. We need to be, we all need to be constantly on a path of maturing. Even if you think you are old. There, there, there's someone Don was talking to this week who um, he said, no, he couldn't possibly do a video conference because he was 60. 60, really? No, no, no. You're not too old to do that. We, we always need to be on a path of maturing. Even if you think you are too old, um, you still need to be maturing. We all do. We, we never come to an end. We, we, we never stop the process of maturing as people. There's always maturing. There's always growing that we can be doing. Now, that is even more true for us spiritually. Jesus said, and it's, I believe it's written up here, and it was our gospel lesson, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Notice he didn't say, make, go and make converts. That's the beginning of the process. 
And, and it's, it is exciting and it is awesome seeing people come to faith. That's the, that is the beginning of the process, but, but he said, make disciples, learners, followers. So, in other words, there's continuing growth that happens after we come to faith. It's exciting to bring that, uh, that baby home from the hospital. It's exciting. We celebrate. But it isn't over then, is it? It has just begun. And it, it's exciting uh, when, when, a, when a person comes to faith in Jesus as their Savior. We celebrate. But it isn't over then, is it? It has just begun. We, we begin a lifetime of growing in faith, of maturing in, in all the things, in living out all the things that Jesus has taught us. In, we grow in, in living our lives in such a way that lets Jesus' light shine. We, uh, we grow spiritually a lot like we grow physically, right? You, you, um, we don't always know that we're doing it while we're doing it. We, we are unaware that we are growing while we're growing. See, you can't see your children grow. They, they just come down the stairs one day, they're two inches taller. All of a sudden, they, they have, all of a sudden none of their clothes fits them anymore. You can stare at your kid all day long, but you will not see your kid grow. And spiritual growth is a lot like that. We don't always see that we are growing while we're doing it, while we're growing. But every now and then, if you look back, if you've been keeping a journal, or if you can just look back, maybe at pictures, uh, and your albums are on your computer, and remember a stage of life a little bit longer ago, you will be able to see how God has been growing you in your life. And if you don't, that might be a wake-up call that is time to get back at growing. But as we look back in life, we will see how God has been growing us. We began Nehemiah last week. And this Jewish man from the tribe of Judah was serving as cupbearer to the king of Persia. Now, when Nehemiah heard about the broken down walls of Jerusalem 1,280 kilometers away, he dropped to his knees. He began to, to um, mourn and fast and weep. God filled his heart with compassion for his people. So we saw the importance of having compassion on people, the same way that God has had compassion on us. And then we saw Nehemiah pray. In, in big blocks of prayer, and with those little short instant message BBM, I message prayers. So he has this healthy relationship with God and we can learn much from Nehemiah's prayer life. It gave him the strength. And this, it's kind of where we, we ended off. It gave him the strength to go up and ask the king of Persia if he could return to the city of Jerusalem. Verses 6 to 8 from our text kind of pick it up. Then, so, so Nehemiah has just asked if he can go uh, return to Jerusalem. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And... 
May I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest? So he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. Now there is an understatement. The gracious hand of God was upon me. That is an understatement right there in our text. Nehemiah had just asked the king of Persia not only to let him rebuild a city that had already been conquered, but also to provide him passports, uh, protection through his army, lumber, and the tools to rebuild those city walls and to build a house for himself. And the king said, sure. How long are you going to be gone? Friends, that is nothing other than the gracious hand of God. God gets all the credit for that one. And what was it that gave Nehemiah such boldness? Where did he get his boldness? We talked about that last week. He got that boldness from the promises in the word of God. He got that boldness from a God who keeps his promises. God who hears his people. God who is powerful and merciful. One that he spent hours in prayer with. And so Nehemiah begins his 800 mile, 1280 kilometer journey to Jerusalem just going to give you the high points um, starting at verse 9, we'll go 9 through 20. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. You've got to understand these are the guys who, um, they're the ones who live more around Jerusalem, in maybe the Damascus area and around there, and, and they're not liking it that Nehemiah is coming in and, and fortifying Jerusalem and making that strong. So they're going to have some problems with this over and over again throughout this story, but he's got He's got some letters of permission from the king saying, I got permission to do this. We're good here. It's his passports, it's his permission. That's who those guys are. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. So just in case they didn't you know, really listen to the letters, he's got, he's got some soldiers, he's got some firepower behind him. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem... And after staying there three days, I set out during the night with, with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. Yeah, that would be the gate where uh, the sewage went out to the brook of Kidron. And that's why it's named that way. Examining the walls of Jerusalem by which, or which had been broken down, and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, 
let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Now, there are some truths in this text that that we can grow and mature from. Just kind of look at verse 8. Nehemiah gave God all credit for any success and any favor that he received from the king in in granting that kind of request because Nehemiah understood that the gracious hand of God was upon him. Friends, the gracious hand of God is upon us. God is guiding everything that happens in our lives. God is guiding all of history. And and as we see things that happen in the world, sometimes we don't understand exactly how he is, but he is behind everything. And God is making everything that happens work out for the good of those who love him, work out for our good. So, So if you are blessed, if something happens to you and you are blessed, That is because God has been gracious to you. That's not because you're awesome. And and the more we understand that, the more we grow into maturity. So if if you look at verse 10 and verse 19, you know, Sanballat, those guys, the, the, the forces of evil and darkness never like it when the kingdom of God moves forward. They don't want you to be growing in maturity as a a Christian. They don't want you to be going into action for God. They don't want you to be in prayer. They don't want you to be in the Word. They don't like that when you're in the Word and you're growing. They don't want you to be rebuilding your lives spiritually and helping other people rebuild their lives spiritually. Our our enemy is going to make it difficult for us. They, They don't want... They don't want those walls of Jerusalem to be rebuilt and they don't want us to build a place of worship in Mississauga either. We should expect opposition from those who reject God, from the forces of darkness. Our enemy has a vested interest in you and I not praying, in you and I not growing, in you and I not maturing and becoming powerful as children of God, in you and I not working for the kingdom of God and going into action to carry out his will for us. Our enemy does not want us to be doing that and he's going to make it difficult for us and that is why it has probably been hard for you to be growing in your faith as a Christian. So we need to expect that. Then look at verse 12. This rebuilding is something that God put into Nehemiah's heart. See, he didn't have some dream of of becoming rich or or famous or or powerful. God put this into his heart to do for him. And so Nehemiah uh, was was not only doing this for, for God's people, but ultimately for God. He was not doing it for himself. When God puts something on your heart to do for him, it will be worth doing. 
and it will be blessed. You might not benefit from it whatsoever. But God's people will be blessed. And God will be honored. Look at verses 17 and 18. The, the, the good news of God's gracious hand in all of this um, encouraged and empowered those people to action. Okay? Friends, God empowers us to serve him. God is the one who empowers us. God is the one who empowers us to action. He's the one enabling us to do it. When we see God's power, when we see God's mercy, that moves us to action, that empowers us to serve him. It empowers us to, uh, to help others spiritually rebuild their lives the same way that God has spiritually rebuilt ours. God empowers us to do that. God empowers us to be people of action and maturity. So then chap- we're not going to read it all, but chapter 3 then shows those people, we let the, we let the vicar read the, with, with all the difficult names. We'll just let, we'll just let that sit with you. Um, and then if you read the rest of chapter 3 in your Bible, you'll see it keeps going with all the different groups of people doing that. So chapter 3 shows the people now going into action. They get divided up into groups and families, each to rebuild a section of the wall, each serving God with um, his or her own gifts, and, but all together to accomplish a huge work for God. So chapter 3 lays that out. We can learn a lot about leadership from Nehemiah here. Nehemiah is able to see the big picture of what it will take to get that wall rebuilt. But at the very same time, he's also able to take that big picture and break it down in little pieces and bring people together with common interests, each to work on a part of the project that has interest to them. And the church today also needs people who have the skills and abilities to involve people. That is a gift. It's a spiritual gift, but that gift can be learned. And it can be learned by watching people like Nehemiah show us how it's done, gently and consistently involving as many people in a project as possible. And like Nehemiah, a leader needs to first gain the trust of the people that he seeks to involve and lead. And then once that trust has been gained, then it's a matter of setting them uh, forth to carry out that work unhindered, empowered to action. But always, like Nehemiah, always keeping the big picture in front of them. Always keeping that big picture in front of them. And especially helping them see how God is the one enabling it to happen, how God is enabling them to do it. A writer named Donald Campbell identifies 21 principles of effective leadership that Nehemiah demonstrates. He established a reasonable and attainable goal. He had a clear sense of mission. He was willing to get involved. He he rearranged his priorities in order to accomplish his goal. He patiently waited for God's timing. He showed respect to his superior. He prayed at crucial times. He made his request with tact and graciousness. He was well prepared and thought of his needs in advance. He went through proper channels. He took the time, three days, to rest, pray, and plan. 
He investigated the situation firsthand. He informed others only after he knew the size of the problem. He identified himself with the people. He set before them a reasonable and attainable goal. He assured them God was in the project. He displayed self-confidence in facing obstacles. He did not argue with his opponents, nor was he discouraged by opposition. And he courageously used the authority of his position. If you don't have all those memorized, they are printed in your Bible study. Um, so you can, you can refer to them in that beige folder when you study that this week. But we can learn a lot about how God used Nehemiah to be a leader. God, God has had compassion on us. We are people who have, we are people who have miserably failed in, in every way in life in our lives as, as God's people. But God had mercy on you and me. He had compassion. And God has made us his children through Jesus, through what Jesus did for us. And so now, we become people of compassion, people of prayer. And through the word, we, we grow and we mature in our faith. And as we grow... And mature in our faith, we become people of action. How? Well, it isn't going to happen by you only coming here once a week on Sundays. This helps. This is, this is part of it. This is one part of it. And, and this is a wonderful part. Of, this is, this, here's where I get to be like Nehemiah and lay before you God's power and God's mercy in your lives to to, um, to motivate you. And then here is where I get to lay out God's plan for us as a church. And so here is where we get inspired by God as we hear his word together. But the real maturing is going to happen when we, when we gather together again in smaller groups to now apply this God's big picture stuff into our lives. The, the real maturing is going to happen when we spend time with people, letting them see Jesus in our lives and seeing Jesus in their lives to, to get the strength and encouragement that we need. That's where the real maturing is going to happen. We, we have fallen so far short of God's glory. We, we, we fail in our walk every day. We need... We need God's grace. We need God's undeserved love that he has given us in Jesus. You and I, we need, to, we need to hear over and over again. We need to hear over and over again about God's love and mercy for us, about how, how God has forgiven us, about what God has done for us. We need to hear about that again and again. We need to spiritually rebuild every day. It's like breathing, confessing sins, and hearing how we've been forgiven. We need that every day. And so that means we need to be, we need to be surrounded by disciples who are going to share that with us. And who are going to confront us when we're going backwards. And who are going to spur us on to go forward. And who are going to lift us up when we're down. We need the community of Jesus. You aren't going to mature spiritually by only coming to church once a week on Sunday. Any more than your child is going to fully mature only by going to school. They need other things, don't they? They need to learn so much more from you at home. 
They need emotional support. They need, most importantly, spiritual support. And so we as people, we need the support of people who will help us to grow and mature in, into Christ. So get into a small group. Surround yourself with God's people. Start learning how to live out in your life the things that we learn here. Be mentored by people who love Jesus and who are serious about the Word of God. Be people of action and maturity. People of faithfulness. If you are a stay-at-home mom, then be faithful to your children and faithful to your husband and honor God with it. If you, are a, if you are a businessman or a businesswoman or a teacher or a mechanic or a doctor or whatever it is you do, be faithful in how you live that out in your life, how you live who you are in Christ out in your life in whatever it is you're doing. You don't have to be part of eight Bible studies and learn, memorize the New Testament and rebuild the city walls. Be faithful in the work that God has given you to do. Like Nehemiah. One man on a donkey. This faithful son of Judah made this long journey to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, to rebuild God's people. And he entered Jerusalem on a donkey with a few followers. And he was filled with grief and compassion over the city. And then three days later, he revealed to his followers his mission to restore God's dwelling place with his people. Years later, another faithful son of Judah entered Jerusalem on a donkey. And he was also filled with grief and compassion over the city. And his mission was to rebuild spiritual Jerusalem. Spiritual people of God. And he gave his life for that mission. But then three days later, he revealed his mission to his followers when he walked out of his tomb alive to give us the good news that he has won the victory over death, that he has forgiven our sins and given us life eternal for all of us. And his mission? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. His mission is for us to make disciples, people who believe in him, who keep growing and maturing in all that he has taught us and living in such a way that his light shines from our lives in the lives of others, and people who go into action and share that light with the world. So going and growing, action and maturity. Friends, let's be people of action and maturity with his help. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.